Good morning, brothers and sisters. Would you please take your Bibles or devices and turn to Matthew chapter 26. Our text is Matthew 26, verses 69 to 75, but for context, we're going to read verses 31 through 35 first. So we'll start Matthew 26, verse 31. The word of the Lord reads, Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Then down to our text in verse 69. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him, saying, You also are with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out of the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again he denied with an oath. I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. The Bible tells us that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this is your enduring word. This is words, a a, a text, a passage that we will study for eternity. Teach us today, Lord. Open our eyes, open our hearts to receive your word and to receive it as your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I encourage you to have your outlines nearby. We'll refer to them throughout the lesson. If you didn't get an outline, you want to raise your hand. Uh, Brother Joe can hand some out to you. Sometimes uh, when when a pastor comes before a text, maybe the pastor has in his mind, this may be a text that, people in our congregation have never seen before or never really studied in depth before. So then, you know, the pastor wants to do a real good job of, of giving the outline and the context so that you can really bring into understanding and remembrance the passage. Sometimes a pastor comes to a passage, and it's a passage everybody knows. Um, if I say David and Goliath, even if you're in this room and you've never been in a church before, you know the basics of David and Goliath. Doesn't mean there aren't things to learn, of course, but there's a familiarity with the passage. This is a passage we're probably familiar with. I don't know about you. This is a passage that makes me a little uncomfortable. It's just so heart-wrenching, and the digging deep into this passage for the last few weeks has been excruciating. Just the the anguish leaps off the page and it just grabs your soul. This, though, is a, this is a passage that's in all four gospel accounts. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all go into at least a little bit of detail on this denial of Peter, of his Lord. And, and just for context's sake, the virgin birth isn't in all four Gospels. Only Matthew and Luke go into the amazing miracle of the virgin birth. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all know, based on how they are writing their gospel inspired by the Holy Spirit, this needs to be said. So this is something we need to dig into, whether it's comfortable for us or not. Um, As review, and this is in your, your notes, we remind ourselves of the passage we just read. Jesus told them just a few hours before this, you're all going to stumble because of me. Peter is Peter, so he speaks up, not me. And then Jesus changes his focus from the 11 at large to just Peter. Peter, you personally are going to deny me three times this night. Before the rooster crows, the rooster crow being the sign of the morning. So literally this night you're going to deny me three times. And of course, Peter says, no, I'd never do that. I die with you. Matthew doesn't go into this, but Luke, if you want my fellow note takers, Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 34, gives us a little bit more detail. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But Peter said to Jesus, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Satan himself is going after Peter tonight. And just so we're all on the same page, Satan is not omnipresent. The Bible doesn't give a whole lot of detail how spirits take up space. God is omnipresent, meaning he's with us everywhere, no matter where we are. Satan is not. So demonic forces are all over the world right now. Satan's not. Satan is in a somewhere. And Jesus tells us this night, the somewhere, the leader of the demonic forces, is going, he's going to be on you, Peter. He's not sending out his minions. He sees it as his personal mission, Peter, to come after you. And Peter doesn't say, Lord, help. Peter says, I got this. He doesn't got this. We fast forward a little bit, and Pastor Brian helped us the last few weeks. They go to the garden, and that's when the the armies come. There's there's many, many soldiers to arrest Jesus. Peter is there. Um, At that point, he's bold enough to swing a sword. Pastor Brian helped us with this. As, As a martial arts aficionado, To take a sharp knife and cut off someone's ear either means you are incredibly skilled or you have no idea what you're doing. Peter's swinging. Praise the Lord for his boldness. Praise the Lord for his zeal in that situation. Cuts off, of all the soldiers, he cuts off the high priest's servant's ear. He aims for the unarmed guy. But he had that zeal and he cuts the ear off. The soldiers take Jesus, and as we saw last week in verse 58, Peter still wants to be there. So he follows at a distance. And there's something admirable about that. Jesus is being taken, and what's Peter going to do against all those soldiers? But he's following at a distance. 
And that brings us to our text today. Um, you can see how much effort I put into the notes. Point one, Peter denies his Lord. Point two, Peter denies his Lord. Point three, Peter denies his Lord. <laughs> There's something we're supposed to get out of this passage. As heartbreaking as it is, this is the point of the passage. Verse 69, now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him saying, you also are with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. First denial, servant girl comes up, and and let's, it's not the focus, but let's focus, it's a servant girl. It's not a soldier. It's not someone with power and authority to arrest Jesus, or arrest Peter, or somebody with the power to do harm to Peter. It's a servant girl. The humblest, lowliest person in the courtyard comes up to Peter. I recognize you. You were with Jesus. And and let's, let's put the whole thing in perspective. We remind ourselves we're in the, the, the heart of the Passion Week. Passion Week, we usually say, starts with the Palm Sunday situation. Okay, so we, we keep that in mind. When Jesus enters town, he's on the donkey, and not the whole city, but many people from the city, they put down the palm branches, and they chant, Hosanna to the Son of David. To get the full grasp of that, that was a call for an insurrection. That was, and there are more people in Jerusalem because the Passover is coming. So there's this huge crowd of Jews, and they've been waiting for that time to finally get out of Roman captivity. They saw it as captivity. Romans didn't. Romans thought it was great. The Jews wanted to be the Jews again. They wanted to have a king like David again. So when they're putting down those palm branches, they're chanting Hosanna to the son of David. That guy's from the lineage. That guy has the following. That's our king. And the palm branches for the Jews, that was the equivalent, like if I were to say stars and stripes, we all go America. That, that, we all know stars and stripes means for us as Americans, that's a, that's a political thing. That's a national thing. So when the palm branches go down, that was a national sign for the Jews. That was a big deal. The Jews wanted a Messiah. Whether you were a part of that crowd or not, that word traveled. There's somebody named Jesus that's getting a following, and there's a big crowd of people that want him to be our king. And the Jews wanted a Messiah. As Pastor Brian helped us out a few weeks ago, their view of Messiah was so small. Jesus, we want you to sit as our king, and give us 40 years of peace. Then you can die and pass it on. That's fine. Just get us out of this Roman bondage and set up a kingdom like David. Jesus didn't come for a 40-year reign in Jerusalem. Jesus came to be the king of the world. He did not come to save them from Roman captivity. He came to save them from their sins. That's the Messiah. And they didn't get it. But that's what they wanted. So there's this all throughout Jerusalem, people are hearing about Jesus. And as Pastor Brian helped us with the last two weeks, now all of a sudden this Jesus guy is in the courtyard and there is a trial that should not be happening. 
All the rules of law say don't do it like that, but they're doing it like that. So, you know, some, it's at night. Some people are sleeping. If you're in the courtyard, you know what's happening. You saw the soldiers come in. You heard the soldiers come in, and the rumors come, they got that Messiah guy. They got Jesus. So everybody's talking about Jesus. And then someone sees Peter, a little servant girl. You were with him. His answer, I don't know what you're saying. I don't get it. Your question confuses me. That is typically the first response of a liar. I don't understand the question. So Peter's lying. He's denying. And again, you give him the benefit of the doubt. He was caught off guard. Maybe he thinks he's going to be arrested for cutting off that guy's ear, even though the ear was repaired, according to Luke, so there's no evidence. And he denies. He just said, I'll follow you to prison, I'll follow you to death. And he denies. Second denial, verse 71, and when he had gone out of the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied again with an oath. I do not know the man. Like liars that double down, the lie gets bigger. Anybody ever been caught? Don't raise your hand. Anybody ever been caught in a lying snowball? I didn't do that. Here comes the evidence. I didn't do that or that. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I'm actually not alive. I didn't do any of that. And it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and harder and harder to believe. And Peter is stuck in the lying snowball. Someone else, time has passed now. Peter has had time for his conscience to get the better of him. I just lied to that little girl. I didn't take a stand for Christ in an easy situation. I just said I would die with him. He's in a horrible situation. I got a man up. He didn't do that. He said the time has passed, and when there's another opportunity for him to take a stand for Christ, with an oath, I do not know the man. So for the Jewish context, taking the oath, that may be in our equivalent, raise your hand, with God as my witness, I do not know that man. Ouch. That's his best friend. That's his Lord and his Savior. That's his Lord and his Savior in his greatest time of need. And he is swearing on everything holy. I don't know that man. Verse 73, a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. More time passed. I believe it's Luke that said it's about roughly an hour from the second denial to the third. People are talking. So now it's not a servant girl. Now it's not one person. There's a group. That, that guy's got to be one of Jesus' followers. I, I was there when Jesus did that, that feeding thing, and a bunch of us got fed. I remember Peter being there. My, my cousin said she saw some miracle where he made some blind guy see again. And she was talking about some guy, and that's got to be like Peter. His voice sounds like the people from that district. 
He's got to be a follower of Jesus. So they're, they're, they're talking now. Peter's been outrageous enough that he's garnering attention and there's enough people there. And they go, you have to be one of his followers. Stop lying. I got New King James. It says he began to curse and swear. Those are good words for, for the Greek, but maybe when we hear curse and swear, our mind goes to like foul language. And that's not really what the word curse and swear means here, although it could include foul language. Curse is, and the ESV says it much better, bringing a curse on himself. Swear being, again, taking up another oath. So, again, using our, our vernacular, he, and <laughs> on Saturdays I like to practice what I'm going to say, so I was practicing what I was saying, and I just felt, I'm going to say something I don't want to say out loud. P- Peter says, I swear on my grandparents' grave. I swear on everything that is holy. I do not know that man. If I'm lying, may God bring a curse on myself and my family for generations. That's what he's saying. He's going that deep into the lie. He is trying with all of his heart to convince everyone around them of something that they know is a lie, that he knows is a lie. He's going all in on the denial. Matthew says then, as he's yelling, I do not know the man. And it's probably worth mentioning the man. You look at verse 74 and 72. I do not know the man. He can't even bring himself to say the name of Jesus. End of verse 74, immediately a rooster crowed. In, in the midst of his yelling outrage, as he's screaming, I do not know the man. These words come out of his mouth and he hears in the background the rooster. And that jars his memory right away. If you have your notes and you want to turn them over, Luke goes into even a little bit more detail. Luke 22 Verses 60 through 62, but Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Look at these next words. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Peter's yelling these lies, trying to convince the crowd. He says, I do not know the man. The rooster crows. Jesus, Peter hears the rooster. His eyes get diverted from the crowd to the other side of the courtyard where Jesus is being carried, taken away. And as he sees Jesus being taken away, as he's in the middle of his lie, he looks towards Jesus and Jesus looks towards him. Satan was desiring to sift him as wheat. Mission accomplished. This crushes the soul. Peter at his lowest, weakest, most pitiful moment. And he's doing it while in the presence of his king who needs him at that moment. He says, Peter went out and wept bitterly. Uh, 
and, and that's a really good way to say it in the English, what, what's being said in, in the Greek. You know, this isn't, I teared up a little bit. This isn't, my emotions were getting the better of me. This, this is just that uncontrollable, from the pit of your soul weeping. The, 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 for lack of a better phrase, the ugly crying. Because it just, everything within you, your, your, your physical matches your spiritual. And it just flows from you. And he weeps bitterly. This immediate text that we have this morning is about Peter. But obviously the larger text is about Jesus. And let's not lose sight of that. So as much as this hurts Peter, it's not hard to imagine this hurts Jesus way more than the beatings, way more than the mockings of his enemies. Way more hurtful is the betrayal of his best friend. And I don't have to guess. I, am, I know every person in this room has been hurt by somebody you love. You know, multiply times 100. And this is what Jesus is going through, again, at, at his time where his need is greatest. But let's not lose sight of the fact Jesus had to go through this pain for you and I. He took up this cup feeling this kind of suffering for you and I. When you and I go before the throne in pain, he can honestly, compassionately say, I know how you feel. I've been there. I've felt that. I care for you. And he can build us and encourage us unlike obviously anybody else. So we get to application time. Um, Some of us make the mistake of reading our Bible and jumping right into application. What does that mean? What does it mean for me? And we want to be cautious how we read the Bible. The first question we want to ask is, what does it mean? We read the words. Maybe we're reading with, with the help of commentaries or whatever. What does this passage mean? And so then... If, if it's what it means, then, then I go to, okay, so if this is what it says, and then this is what it means, and I, I build, use that as my foundation. If this is what it says, and if this is what it means, then the next question, so what does it mean for me? I don't want to just read in an intellectual level where I'm gathering more information so I can win Bible Jeopardy. I, I've got to go past that. The Pharisees would have won Bible Jeopardy. The Pharisees' hearts were far from the Lord. We've got to do better than that as his children. So what does it say? What does it mean? What does it mean for me? So we remind ourselves, number one, this passage is about Peter, but number two, I'm Peter. When we get to application time and we see the denials of Peter, we have to be strong enough to look in the mirror and say, I've denied Christ. Not in that same way necessarily. I wasn't in a courtyard while he was through a false, going through a fake trial or anything like that. Maybe I haven't denied him personally to servant girls and crowds, but I've denied my Lord. I have done things where it's like I'm spitting in his face when he's worthy of so much greater. Uh, where's that quote? Spurgeon says, you can deny Christ quite as much by acting inconsistently as by standing up and boldly saying, I do not know this man. So, let's consider Christ as Lord. 
Sometimes we ultra-focus on Savior, and I do not at all want to minimize Christ as our Savior. That, that's one of the greatest blessings of this world. It's one of the greatest blessings of Scripture. But the Bible calls Jesus our Savior about 20 times, and the Bible calls Jesus our Lord over 300 times. Where's the focus? On his, him being our Lord. So, so what does Lord mean? Lord means ruler. The Lord rules over our hearts and our lives and our minds. The, the first, you know, you know what creeds are. We have the Apostles' Creed that goes way, way back. R.C. Sproul says the first Christian creed was two words. Jesus Kyrios. Jesus is Lord. And that's why the Christians in the early church were persecuted like they were. The Roman church, the Roman nation said, you can have any religion you want as long as once a year you say Caesar is Lord. Pray whatever you want, read whatever you want, believe whatever you want, but when it comes down time to it, confess Caesar is your Lord and do whatever you want. The Christians had to say, we'll obey that bad law, we'll obey that bad law, we'll pay our taxes. That guy's not our Lord. Jesus is our Lord. If he is the Lord, and he is, then he has the authority to rule and dictate how we live our lives. So every single time we sin, we reject his rule, his lordship in our lives. Every time we sin, we're saying, Jesus, I got this. You get off the throne, my turn. I reject your way, I reject your lordship, I reject your rule, I replace it with my own. If that's not denying Christ, I don't know what is. This is the reality of the hideousness of our sin. If you've got your Bible, please turn to Psalm 51. Some of you, when I say Psalm 51, you know right away what that psalm is. That's the psalm that was written, that David wrote, uh, after his sin with Bathsheba. Let's look at a few verses from Psalm 51. And the title is even there, if you, if you have your Bibles open to Psalm 51, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Psalm 51, verses 1 and 2. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Let's go down a little bit to verses uh, 10 and 11. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Uh, Let's go to verse 16. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken heart, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Psalm 51 is this great psalm of confession when his sins were brought before him. This is not a conversion prayer. This psalm is not, I was unsaved, 
God showed me my sins. I repent. Now, by God's grace, I am saved. Psalm 51 is a, I'm already saved. I'm already walking with the Lord. And my sins are crushing me. The the Holy Spirit has opened my eyes to the hideousness of my rebellion against God. And my heart and soul is crushed. We as Christians are not the people who repent one time. We live lives of repentance. For, for, for clarification, that doesn't mean we're saved and then we blow it and we're not saved. I've got to repent again so I can be saved, but then I'm not saved. We're not saying that. God's grace is strong enough to save you no matter how bad your sins. Okay, so we, we stand on the truths of the gospel that, that, that we, I will die on this hill saying that if Christ has saved you, you are saved. You're not going to lose your salvation. But you're still a sinner. And the flesh still fights hard and Satan still roams like a roaring lion sending his minions to sift us like wheat. And when we get to those times... May our hearts be like David's in Psalm 51. Father, wash out my sins. Father, create in me a clean heart. May may my worship be not the physical sacrifices, but the sacrifice of a broken and contrite heart before you. So we're seeing in Peter... What we see when we look in the mirror, we're seeing in Peter that we too are guilty of denying our Lord. But we also have to say for application letter B, just like Peter, the Lord Jesus loves us and protects us and is preparing us for faithfulness. This is not the end of the Peter story. If this was the end of the Peter story, yikes. We're about to get to the end of the Judas story. That's a yikes. But right here, we're in the midst of the Peter story. Let's go. I'm going to read again what I read at the beginning from Luke 22, where it said Peter wants to, or Satan wants to sift Peter as wheat. Verse 30, chapter, Luke chapter 22, verse 31, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Verse 32, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Those are some of the most powerful words in the scripture from Christ. I have prayed for you. If only Peter would have focused on that part. He's about to be sifted. Sorry. He's about to be sifted like wheat. He's about to fail miserably. That's part of his story. That's part of what makes him great. He can't be the pillar of the church in the bold, compassionate, faithful way if he doesn't recover from this pain. Look at your heroes in history. Your heroes in histories aren't the people that had the easy lives. They're the people that God gave the strength to overcome. 
that God put through the ringer and made them stronger. And they were better people, better servants for the Lord because of what they went through. Jesus prays for Peter. Jesus restores Peter. John chapter 21 tells us, and we, we again, they'll probably know this passage. Jesus asks, this is after the resurrection, Simon, do you love me? Yes, of course I love you. Feed my sheep. And he says it three times. And so there's people that will go into why the three times. People say uh, maybe it's three times because Peter denied three times, and that's a, probably a good answer. Um, some people say it was three times because Peter kept using the wrong word for love. Jesus is using one word. Peter's using another. So he had to keep talking until he uses the other word for love. There's probably something there. For the sake of today, Jesus lovingly restores Peter. Remind yourself of Peter. Jesus restores the one who hurt him most. Nobody hurt Jesus more than Peter. Jesus didn't let it stew. He didn't say in his mind, Peter needs a few more years of suffering mentally before I restore him. He comes alongside as the gentle shepherd and prepares Peter to be a great under-shepherd. Peter may have denied his Lord. You and I may have denied our Lord. Our Lord will never deny us. This is the truth of our Savior. And we have to go back to that. If we stay on point one, where the de- deniers, just like Peter, now we're living in self-pity and we're of no help to anybody. Can't believe how bad I am. Can't believe how bad a sinner I am. I can't believe how worthless I am. And we can't stay there. We were not created to stay there. Christianity is a religion of change. Our God never changes, but he does a great change in us. Otherwise, why are we here? If he's not going to restore my soul, if he's not going to give me new life, if he's not going to give me the ability to walk worthy according to his kingdom, why am I here? Go watch sports on Sunday. There's no other reason to be here. We're here because we serve a Savior who restores the broken. And we are that broken that was restored. Praise his name. So, and if Peter's not an example of change, who is? Acts 4. Who is this guy? He's looking at the fishermen and the crowd says, these are people that are bold because they've been with Jesus. That was the early proclamation of Peter and his boldness in the early church. He's an uneducated fisherman changing the world because Jesus changed him. Because he's been with Jesus. And since we're like Peter, we stand on the fact, we look at Peter, Jesus prayed for Peter. Folks, Jesus prays for you. You've gotten your notes. Let's turn there. Hebrews. Hebrews 7. Hebrews 7.25. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Therefore, Jesus is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to to God through him, seeing he always lives to make intercession for them. 
He lives as the great high priest right now to make intercessions for you and me. He is praying for you right now. Maybe you came in this morning saying, Satan is beating me up. My prayers go out to you. More important, Jesus' prayers go out to you. In a crowd this big, there have to be people in here just getting run through the ringer. Jesus prays for you. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you, he will be faithful to complete it in the day of Christ. Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for good to those who love God. And if you are getting beat up right now, somehow, some way, our amazing Lord is turning that into good for you. Praise his name. So we got to remind ourselves of Peter. We have to remind ourselves of Peter, number one. Humbly, we come before the Lord and we recognize, I am guilty of denying you too, Lord. So I have to come repentant before the Lord often, bringing my sins, bringing my confessions with a broken heart. And I don't stop there. I pray for restoration because we serve the God who restores. And we wait for that restoration because God is faithful. We remember Peter when others betray us, when others deny us. We remember I'm the guilty denier too. And if Jesus can forgive Peter, I can forgive them. That person hurt me, he hurt me, she hurt me, not like Peter hurt Christ. And if Christ forgave that person of their sins, then i got to be able to forgive them of their sins. And I can't hold that grudge. This calls us to humility. This calls us to keep our eyes off of us and put it on the faithful one. Let's pray to the faithful one. Father in heaven, we sang a song that said, Great is your faithfulness. This passage reminds us of the horrible sin of Peter. This passage reminds us that we too are guilty of horrible sins. We're so thankful that our salvation does not rest on our goodness or on the strength of our faith. Our salvation rests on the strength of our faithful one. Father, we, we humbly thank you that Jesus endured this. It breaks our hearts, but we recognize that this brokenness that Jesus experienced was necessary for him to be the suffering servant to redeem our souls. We humbly thank you for the suffering of Peter, because we see the end of the story. We see the boldness you gave him. We see the patience you gave him. We see the tender, shepherding heart you gave him that was molded in this suffering, that was formed in your loving restoration of him. Those of us in this room that are broken right now, 
we understand the scripture speaks positively of Christian brokenness because of how you form and fashion us through that brokenness, how you more and more make us dependent on your strength and not our own, dependent on your wisdom and not our own. So, Father, for those of us in pain, being sifted by Satan's forces, we, we do pray for relief, but we trust you. And if the relief doesn't come now and comes later, Father, we trust you. And we look forward to that beautiful restoration. Father, increase our faith. Keep our eyes on Christ, we pray. In Jesus' name.